0: Been through mail well just for this I
1: have my
0: safe What's up
1: everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Brutally Speaking Podcast, the official podcast of MetalNexus.net where you can get all your show reviews, concert photos, and the latest going-ons and flashbacks of the rock and metal world. And with me as always is the most hated man on the internet, Daniel Terry?
2: Well, I don't know if I'm the most hated man on the internet. Uh, The guy I interviewed is definitely, but uh, I think only a few people hate me. Some people are just mildly annoyed by me, I think, was the last time I checked the uh, I checked the old socials.
1: Well, you know, uh, apparently that's what happens when you... I To be completely honest, I haven't listened to the episode. I don't even know who the fuck the person is. Uh, but if you go to discography discussion and check out the latest interview they did over there, uh, apparently that dude's a piece of shit or spams too much or... I, I don't know.
2: Well, you know what? Let me set the record straight here for a minute, even though people are still going to say that I'm a coward by not saying this to his face. Uh, during the interview, but um, I interviewed a guy named Eric Matson, who is extremely, uh, well, he's infamous, uh, if, if there's a good word for it, uh, in the tooth and nail Solid State Records community, or just uh, pop punk community on Facebook in general, uh, and the reason for this is that Eric used to, long story short, Eric used to play drums in a band called Makeshift 3, Um, Even though that band, I guess, hasn't officially broken up, so I guess he technically still does. Uh, And then he's in another band called Good Luck Ugly. The thing about Eric is Eric would send you a message on Facebook Messenger that would say something along the lines of, Hey, listen listen to my band. What do you think it sounds like compared to other bands that you've heard? And then if you don't respond to him, he'll send you another message that says, Hey, John, you there? Sad face. Every single interaction that you'd have with him from that point on would be in some way shape or form a repetitive yes yes to the point where people started thinking he was some kind of like messenger bot that had gone rogue <laughs> and uh, they weren't sure so i mean i was i was very curious myself uh as as to what the deal was with it and i talked to eric and um you know i thought eric was a really nice guy uh on the interview i didn't really have any problems with him on the interview um but where the hate comes into play is that uh Eric has been spamming people bad, man, for like 10 years, (laughs) and, uh, people are, are upset about it, and some people did not take too kindly, uh, to me giving Eric, um, what they felt like, yeah, was a platform, and, uh, and, of course, the selfish me was like, oh my god, you think my podcast is a real platform? Uh, but, uh, but the other part of me, um, I I can definitely see what people are saying, um. I know more about Eric now than I did whenever I, had the, whenever I did the interview. And uh, I could definitely say that uh, if I did it again, yeah, probably I'd be a little bit harder on him uh, than I was. Probably not super hard because, I mean, you've seen it, John. I mean, how many times have we interviewed somebody and we kind of know they're lying to us? You know what I mean? Or they're giving us some kind of canned answer, you know? And that that, for the most part, is what Eric did. He said, you know, he was not spamming people. He was doing a uh he was doing research you know trying to find out if his stuff was and and that may have been his intent but uh it definitely it definitely rubbed a lot of people the wrong way and uh there is one thing people were really really mad that i apologized to eric at the end of the episode about how um how mean people's responses to him became and uh, some people took issue to that because they felt like i was apologizing on their behalf and uh to be honest i didn't really think about that whenever i was saying it so uh i'm doing damage control on this episode of brutally speaking while still spamming everybody to be like yeah if you guys want to hear you know my post interview thoughts you can listen to the new episode of brutally speaking <laughs> so you know Uh, it's spam, spam, spam. If there's one thing I've learned from Eric, it's, uh, even if they don't want to hear it, make them hear it.
1: There you go. Um, all that aside, this episode's guest, if you haven't looked at your screen, whatever the hell it is, you're listening to this on, it's Clint Lowry. Um, Doc Coyle already took my joke, Clint Lowry from bad boys. Um, I guess that just goes to show that, you know, Doc Coyle and I have the same (laughs) late, 90s references. <laughs> um, Clint Lowry, though, Seven Dust, he's got a new record coming out soon called, uh, God Bless the Renegades. It'll be out January 31st as of when you're hearing this. So, uh, probably about like, you know, the end of the week, you'll get to hear this record, uh, officially. And, uh, this was interesting. You know, we, we've had LeJean on uh, to talk about the latest Seven Dust record at the time. This came to our inbox, and I was pretty excited to talk to Clint. I think uh, anyone who's a fan of Seven Dust knows that Clint is, is a big part of their sound, And uh, just what he's done outside of the band is pretty interesting. I mean, being, you know, leaving Seven Dust to go start Dark New Day, uh, working with his brother Corey on a lot of stuff, being the extra guitar player in Seether as of recently, uh, working with the Crowbot dudes. Like, you know, dude just loves writing songs and writing songs of all kinds. So uh, when we got this solo record, I was kind of interested to see what Clint would sound like, where where he's finally willing to put his name on it, because this isn't technically the first solo clint record but it's the first to have his name on it so
2: yeah yeah no this was really cool and i i like that you know collectively we've talked to most of seven dust uh at at this point you know and um but no hearing hearing some of the stuff that he's had uh that he's had kind of brewing in the background um really cool i haven't heard the record yet but i've heard i've heard samples of it and obviously i've heard the infamous not infamous the the famous uh scott bowling intro
1: (laughs) yeah that was a good time
2: yeah absolutely and uh no it was a good chat i i definitely um i don't know if we want to get into what he said at the end about nine inch nails uh (laughs) right now but uh we can uh we can maybe talk about that in the outro
1: yeah i mean i think the thing for me is like uh yeah, that nine-inch nails thing kind of came out of nowhere. But um, kind of speaking of things coming out of nowhere, I do want to kind of give it up to uh, Mark and nothing more for uh, actually, you know, sharing our episode. Uh, you know, something Dan and I have talked about quite a bit is the fact that uh, people don't really share our content with with them. You know, they pretty much who are just uh, we're reliant on whatever the shares are or, you know, the people who listen to this episode, Dan and I sharing these episodes and so forth. Uh, so for the band to actually, you know, on all of their socials share our conversation was actually pretty cool and is not something that's, you know, taken lightly by us. It, it doesn't happen very often. So uh, shout out to Mark, shout out to nothing more. I know that was a really loose conversation uh, in the truest sense of the form. That literally was Mark and I opening beers, turning on the microphones and, you just hearing what we talked about for about 45 minutes to an hour.
2: Yeah. And it was fun.
1: Yeah. You know? I, I mean, it's one of those where like, as I listened back to it and I was going to edit it, it's like, I don't really want to edit it. Cause it's like, and then I feel like it be, it loses its in the raw, in the moment kind of feel that it had. And I felt like doing that would be a just dis, disingenuous to the, to the chat itself. And, I mean, by all accounts, a lot of the Nothing More fans seem to really like it and enjoy it. And, you know, I think that's something that we kind of do on this podcast, and I I do like when we get to do that, is just kind of have something more off the cuff. You know, there's nothing to promote. There's no reason I have to talk about a specific thing or Dan has to talk about a specific thing. And I think that's what makes, you know, some of these episodes more fun is when we get people off the traditional album cycle promo area.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think... um... I think that that's the most fun about doing freeform conversation. It's as we talked about in our, our end of the year episode that we did recently, uh, those are my favorite kind of chats It's just, just being able to kind of cut loose and it just sound like two friends talking. Um, You can usually get the best stories out of that. You can get the best side tangents. You can get all that stuff. And I know some people like to listen to just very straightforward interviews, but for me, um, I'd rather read a straightforward interview than listen to it if I'm going to listen if I'm going to listen to it I want to I want to hear you know all the all, everything that goes with that conversation
1: absolutely and uh, without further ado we'll talk a little bit more about a lot of other things after we're done with this chat with Clint so without further ado here's my conversation with Clint Lowry we'll talk to you afterwards <laughs> I have the pleasure of talking to clint lowry uh who has a solo record his first technically under his name uh god bless the renegades out january 31st via rise records we are just about two weeks away from the release how are you feeling as of right now
0: Man, I'm feeling I'm feeling good, man. I, I've, uh, I'm kind of it's getting more real by the day. Uh, realizing I'm getting ready to have to you know go out and tour this thing and and put this full record out that I've been really trying to get together for a lot of years and uh, for it to finally becoming a reality is just uh, I'm just I'm super stoked, man, and just very thankful and excited, nervous, all all the emotions.
1: You know, it's kind of funny. And thinking about this, you know, I I kind of made the joke that, you know, this is the first solo record technically you put out under your name. You've done a lot outside of what I think most know you from is Seven Dust. And it does make me wonder, is there a more sense of, uh, I don't want to say uncharted territory, but just kind of more feeling... You know, nervous, excited, all these kind of things, because it, it is you. It's your name. It is one hundred percent you on this as a whole. Yeah, I mean,
0: there's there's been a comfortability that's been with Seven Us for a long time, and you know, I have a lot of other uh, personalities and creative minds to lean on in the Seven Us thing. Even though I, I do a, a lot of writing for the Seven Us stuff, even with the lead, the vote, lead vocals, you know, I write a lot of that stuff. But this is definitely, um, you know. I'm definitely going to, the focal point, I'm not used to it, but I'm. there's been one thing that's been missing in my life. And, and it's like I've written a lot of lyrics over the years for um, Jean and different different singers. And I just wanted to have that opportunity to sing the songs directly to the people instead of being the, middle, the third person out, you know, that's just kind of watching the, the connection. I wanted to have the connection and I wanted to look at people and sing it and then to realize that it was me saying the words, you know, and coming up with it. Um, It's been an honor to to write for for Lajon, but for me, this is just one of those things where I just needed to do it just to have that feeling and to have the connection with people.
1: You know, something to that effect, I I don't know if people know how many songs you write for 7 Dust, or even more to the point, how prolific of a songwriter you are working with other artists as a whole. And it does kind of make me wonder when you kind of started... Compiling this for your solo record were any of these songs that maybe you had written for someone else and then just kind of either you know didn't work out or, or that you were holding on to and then kind of went back and reworked on for what would become the solo record at all?
0: Yeah, I mean I, I archive a lot of material. I'm I'm always writing, but once the once this was like directly in my you know my priority list. Once I knew that this was going to happen, it's about two a music for my record, all kinds of styles and trying kind to of find directions. Some some heavy, some very poppy, some, some southern, you know, rock kind of vibes, you know? And so, like, some of the songs that I wrote for this ended up being on the record, you know? It, it's it's just weird. You know, there were songs, that I always have song ideas that I pitch for other bands. Uh, I love working with other bands. I love writing for new bands. And uh, it's just it's good to be able to have... a, a an experience where you're sharing this creative outlet with people that are new and all these other bands you really look up to and love and, and to get in the room and try to hash out ideas. That's really my, my main love. I, I, I could do that for the rest of my career. Uh, so yeah, I mean, there were a few songs that I, I was, trying to write for other people but ended up being something that I ended up wanting to use for myself.
1: Does it get hard to write cohesively for what will be a solo record or is it more freeing to kind of write in the mindset of I can go anywhere and anywhere with this because no one knows what this is supposed to be. I'm kind of figuring it out as we go.
0: Oh man, that was the beauty and there were some very drastic songs. There were songs like the first version of the song Kings was all electronic and it was very hip hop. And the song I wrote with, them, it was one of the songs that I wrote two songs with other people and one Drew Falk helped me write Kings. And it was so, it was like completely hip hop, no guitars and it was cool. And Elvis is the one that kind of, the, the, you know, he produced the record. He kind of rounded out the sound and, and turned it back into a rock record. So even the more alternative songs ended up, becoming more straight rock, because Elvis just loves that. He does that really well, and he's like, you need to do this. You know, don't go too crazy, just just be a rock singer, you know, and do a heavier rock record, you know? So I trusted him, and that's what we did.
1: It's funny, you're, you're the second person I've had on recently that's worked with Drew Falk, and it's interesting because he works – more in the hip hop and kind of R&B world but he's starting to trickle into this kind of hard rock heavy metal world and it's interesting to see how he brings what he's done into what you know the rock heavy metal guys are are doing and kind of creating this new sense of, of things. But I feel like, you know, you guys, I mean, Seven Dust initially being from Atlanta and, you know, the hip-hop scene being so strong around the time of you guys coming up, I feel like that's also kind of undeniably part of your sound, that that bounce and that kind of... that you know, that Southern swagger a little
0: bit to it. Yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a, I mean, look at Lejean, you know, his background is r and I grew up listening to all R&B, the stations and radio stations. I listened to that more than I listened to heavy music. I didn't get into heavy music until later, but um, yeah. So, I mean, that, that groove, that soul, that, that, that uh the groove is, is just important. I, I've always, no matter what project, and Drew's good at that. I mean, there's some metal, there's progressive metal bands that have super amazing rhythms and and, and uh, that resemble hip hop. So it's, it's weird that you can merge them without even knowing that they're being merged. You know, they just have this unique common thread to them.
1: You know, kind of speaking a little bit more to the the technical side of things. You know, when listening to this record, something that kind of stood out to me was the different tones that you kind of use all over the record and, you know, kind of thinking back to more of the, the seven dust catalog and so forth, where there's a lot of effects being used and so forth, but I feel like you don't, you haven't played around with tone as much as you did on this record. Was that something you kind of set out to play around with and kind of create more of, unique vibes unto the specific songs themselves and, and kind of create a wider palette of, of tones and so forth? Or was that just kind of a happy accident based on writing these songs?
0: It, it was kind of both. I mean, we purposely tried, wanted to add a typical active rock rock guitar. So there was a lot of single coils, there's a lot of stacks, a lot of layers, and <clears throat> like floor, stomp pop, stomp, pedal, you know, pedals, and just everything to kind of just give it every, even a normal, and a different take, you know, modernizing it a little bit. Um, so there was like a lot. Of, I use a lot of stuff, and it just that just creates this like Frankenstein, you know, just huge sound. And automatically, it makes it a little more alternative to me when you when you have those effects. It gives it just a. a a shimmer that
1: i love yeah i definitely noticed you know i was kind of trying to decipher the, the various things going on uh you know with some of the leads going on it was kind of more of a straight ahead straight ahead kind of a tone but then in, in kind of your cleans like there's a couple of different clean tones and so forth and your rhythm tone is really thick and chunky but it's not quite the seven dust tone it's a little bit warmer if that makes sense and you know it's funny you say you kind of put like an active rock kind of sounding that was kind of active in your head of how you wanted it to come across because I I just couldn't put my finger on what it was that I was hearing, but I was like, "It, it sounds different, but it's still you at the same time. But I guess that would be it—is that you were kind of trying to create something a little more radio-friendly kind of a tone?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I was just trying to pick a tone that matched the vibe of the song. Um, there, I didn't do a lot of—I didn't do hardly any solos or anything. I was this record was just really concentrated on the songs and and the vocals. Um, maybe next record, it's like you know, if I do another one, it, it'll be more up there, like real solos on there and everything, because I love that stuff too. But you know, the the the, the tones I think were just suitable for the direction of the the song, you
1: know, yeah, definitely, so something that i I have kind of harped on quite a bit on this podcast and and I think you know I think you're a little bit older than I am, um so I mean, you'll definitely understand where I'm coming from with this, but it's been interesting to see the rollout of this record, you know, at this point, you got three singles, I think there's a video or video for each one of them, uh two of them are performance videos, I think one is just kind of a normal standard affair video um. And you know what, it just kind of makes me wonder, has it been good to kind of, do you feel it's been good to get such a head start with the record and, and the rollout, or are you kind of more of the vibe where you kind of would like to put out one song, maybe put it out not so far away from the release of the album, and then just kind of ride that, you know, because it seems like, I feel like we you, the rollout now kind of gives away so much of the record, or it could make people kind of be going, I really love that first single, but then the second one comes out and they're like, ah, I don't know. And so sometimes I'm just I'm just so used to it being the old way where it's like you get one single that's all you got and either that was the strong enough to make you go buy the record or it wasn't and I, I just I don't know.
0: I guess it could be played both ways. I mean the way you just described it, I could see the pros and cons with each. I, I'm an old school guy. I'm a fan of one song, pull them in and let me introduce to this embodied, this full body of work, but that's just not the culture we live in now. I think the reason that Rise Records and they want to do a front-loaded promotional thing uh, is just to give us a wider, like keep the momentum going. It's just a different tactic. I, I, you know, as much as I don't want to do it, I'm open to it, and I, I like to see if it works or not. If it works in this particular climate, the way it is, people are just like so. It's just their attention spans are a lot shorter. So it's just like you throw a song out, and maybe if they didn't like that, they'll like the second. If they don't like that, maybe they'll like the third. But um, I'm not I'm not against it. Um, you know, it's, it is interesting though. It, it's one of those I don't know which work works better. And for you to bring it up is it, I, I think that's a it's a great question. It's a good to to ask yourself that.
1: Well, even kind of more so. How did you come to pick the three singles that are out currently? Because I mean, when listening to the record as the whole, and this sounds like a backhanded compliment, and I definitely don't mean it to be, but it, when listening to the, the whole album, I'm like, you know, honestly, any of these songs, like you know, could have been singles or could have been the leadoff singles, because I think the whole record is just that strong. So it seems like it would be kind of hard to, to pick something like, you know, I was kind of surprised you didn't kind of go with something on the back half of the record and, and kind of, you know, when that way, when people pre order or whatever and see like, I really like this song, holy shit, that's on the back half of the record. That has me excited because yeah. this is toward the end and holy shit, what's in the middle or, you know, things like that. Like people who may pay attention to a track listing at that point.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, I, there were a couple of songs I, I really wanted to release first that didn't get picked. And it was, I kind of let that happen with the team um, because I get so close to everything. I, can't, I don't even trust my own opinion when it comes to what. Uh, there was a couple. It was one that was stand out, but the other ones I was just like, whatever you guys think. And yeah, we debated it, and you deliver it. You know, if it were the only the one song, that that choice would be a lot more. Choosing that would be a, a lot more of a struggle uh i, mean, I know there was gonna be three songs i wasn't too upset i'm like well that's fast that that's a good presentation of what the record's like hopefully they'll be the people that get it I'm like man this is even better than i thought instead of it putting your best songs out there and then not having everything else kind of beat you know the dud songs you know <laughs> yeah it's, it's, i hope i hope the desired effect is to what effect that you that you experienced and that you like some of the other songs too and uh, that's that's the ultimate goal for me
1: well i mean like a song like you go first like i i think that could have been it's a little bit different than anything else that's kind of out out of the three songs there are out currently and i think showcases a different side of the record that maybe people are wondering if it's there so that that was kind of what i was what thinking
0: of, uh you go first oh that that that's that's my favorite song on the whole record oh okay Well, it's a pretty strong
1: one. The first time I heard it, I was like, I'm going to skip, or I'm going to go back to that one, and then for like an hour, that was all I listened to.
0: Oh, well, thank you, man. I thought that just having an odd time signature in the chorus would just throw people off. But, you know, music lovers would kind of get a kick out of it. But I think that's a a cool song, man.
1: You know, something with this tour, with Alter Bridge, getting ready to start in two weeks, you know, that I've kind of been wondering is, how have you been prepping... Maybe differently for this tour than you would have for any of the other tours you've done.
0: Oh man. All right. So I have been rehearsing my, my ass off. Like all I do, every single day I'll run the set, I'll sing the set, I'll play it. I'm actually have my first rehearsals with my band next week. Um it's just about building my, my voice, getting endurance. Uh, I used to be able to, you know, singing three songs was a challenge because when I first started practicing a couple months ago, it was like, man, I I haven't sang like for a long period of time ever, really. And, you know, backing vocals is a whole different world. So I've been singing, you know, today's my first day off in a while. So it's just been going through the songs, getting super comfortable with it, building my my voice up, my stamina. And I mean, I put more uh, rehearsal time into this than I've done for anything ever in my life. You know, so hope, and it's, and it's feeling good. It's, it's starting to pay off. And it's, uh, I don't want to go out there and, and fall on my face, man. I want, I can do this. You
1: know, something as I was listening to a podcast today with, uh, Vivian Campbell of Def Leppard, but for the sake of the interview, it was for Last in Line. And, you know, they're... It was with Eddie Trunk and, you know, he was kind of asking the question, you know, at this point, Last in Line will have three records out and they're still playing the old Dio stuff. And he was like, at what point do you how does the set list kind of go and how hard is it to create a set list? And it kind of made me think in preparation to talk to you. I was like, huh, you know, like this is technically your first solo record. So what does your set list look like? as of when you're going to go out on this tour, because there's so much material you could play and that you've written and had a hand in writing and so forth that I could see you doing, like Angel Sun, for example. I could see you dipping into that or something maybe with from the, the Dark New Day stuff or you know a lot of stuff that you have written over the years that fans would know, and it just kind of makes me wonder, are you sticking solely to this record, or, or what does the set look
0: like? I'm going to do, for so the most part, I'm going to do... You know, with the Ultra Bridge supporting, I, I only have eight, nine songs I can play. So I'll probably stick to the songs on this record. I will probably do a couple of Call Me No One songs. If I do headline shows, I'll do um, like X Day, Seven Dust songs, like you said, that I, that I have a, a voice in and wouldn't make sense for me to do. Um, I might do like a different version of them, you know, uh, just to kind of give the people that are fans of my work with Seven Dust give them, give that a nod and show respect to them to what really put me on the map. And uh, I love doing that. I, I'm very proud of the Seven Dust thing. I won't ever uh, shun away from what that's given me and the opportunity that, that it's opened up for I embrace all that stuff. I've actually really wanted to do the songs that we don't really do a lot with Seven Dust that I sing on. This will be a chance to kind of do those songs because I've had people, you know, show interest in hearing them. So I'm going to give them what they want.
1: Yeah, it was just kind of funny, you know, even in talking with Mike from Stained uh, and St. Sonia, you know, they were kind of in that same boat where it's like you have Stained, you have one St. Asonia record, and then you have Three Days Grace material. So it it is one of those things where sometimes you have to think about what fans are going to be into because maybe they haven't had the, the record long enough or at all to win them over. So you kind of got to give them something that maybe they know to get them into it a little bit more. And and as I kind of thought about it, I was like, you know, you're in a unique position where there's so much material that fans of yours would know that it's like, man, I, I feel like you're in a kind of really tough spot
0: as to what you pick. Yeah, it's going to be fun. and I want to change it. I want to, I want to do the things that seven Dust may not do. I want to, ch- I want to be a little more spontaneous and, and just kind of do things off the cuff and, You know, and and pull songs out of nowhere um, that people would, like, kind of trip on, you know, hearing. So, um, songs maybe The Seven Nuts has never played, (laughs) or may all go do them, you know. Obviously, it won't be the same without Lejean, but, um, you know, I'm going to try to be very clever with this at least and hopefully have more opportunities to do headlines and shows. You know, I did want to
1: ask, as we're kind of wrapping up... um... You know, aside from your, your really infectious Scott Bowling uh, intro jingle, um, how hard is it to balance so many things? I mean, you're, you're basically gearing up for the launch of your first solo record. you got a tour coming up. Uh, according to the news, you know, you're writing a new Seven Dust record and obviously probably still writing for just music for other people in general. How do you find the balance to do everything and, and not let anything fall by the wayside?
0: Oh, man, I mean, that, that's the challenge of... The challenge, you know, doing all of that and doing it, stability, and there's a lot more time it, on the outside. It may seem a little more, a little more congested than it is, but for the most part, I mean, there's a lot of time to twiddle your thumbs. You're on videos every day. You're doing, uh, you're in the studio. You have hours. You're at home. And the kids are in school. You know, ten hours, eight hours. I, I work. You know, I enjoy the process. And someone told me a long time ago. If you're in the process of creating and writing and releasing music, it's not gonna ever seem like an overwhelming task. It's always gonna seem like comfortable. And that's what I'm I'm if I'm not doing something I feel uncomfortable.
1: Here's something that I've kinda of wondered, just in light of, you know, some of the diversity of, of your career as a whole, what is something musically you haven't done but really wants you to either challenge yourself or just to, to kind of prove that you, you can?
0: I mean, the biggest challenge would be what I'm getting ready to do, and that's just be a front man and sing and it'd be the one the face of the the band um I'm insecure artist, so that's going to be a challenge. but one thing I would love to do is uh play guitar for uh nothing anything else like uh, if i uh, if I could do anything, I feel like I would be the best guitar player that Trent's ever had. <laughs> no. Because-
1: the question I would have, if if that is the the I guess the goal or the the pinnacle, would be I know seeing documentaries on that band over the years that he he requires a lot out of his musicians and and requires them to be multi instrumentalists in the truest sense. Are you able to play keys and and do a lot of the other stuff that he has his band members do?
0: Absolutely, man. I'm 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 equipped as far as what their style of keyboard playing. I am I could completely cover. Percussionist, like drums, bass, uh, saying I, I would be, I would put myself up with any of the guys that do that. To, everything about what they do is is something that I've always looked up to, and what he does, and what he does require. And I've analyzed every musician he's ever had, and they're all great. And I'm not saying I'm great. I just know I what they do. I would be, I would love the challenge. I'd probably get kicked out the second day, but you know, I'd make a good run at it. <laughs>
1: I think it would be really interesting yeah, I, to, to I see you do that. I think uh I mean you you got the the hulking presence in uh down. I mean that's half of uh it seems like now Trent since he is sober just got just like scarily ripped uh in those black t-shirts and so forth.
0: Oh yeah, he looks you know it's like funny when people get sober and they, they try to get strong. <laughs> but uh I, I yeah, I mean I would love that, but you know, I just I'm, I'm cool with admiring them from a the distance.
1: Yeah, still one of my bucket list bands. I haven't gotten to see them
0: yet. Oh, it's the best. It's just, I don't, you know, it's just great. Well,
1: uh, where can everyone find you online? And uh, what is, obviously, the Alter Bridge tour coming up in the next two weeks that runs for, I think it's about a month. Uh, but what is the rest of uh, 2019 or 2020 now? Shit. What does 2020 hold for you?
0: Yeah, you know, you can find me on tour at Alter Bridge during February. Um, you, you can find me. You know anything, tour information about the project on ClintLowry.net on Instagram, Clint Lowry, uh, Clint Lowry official on instagram and that's pretty much tells you everything i got a facebook under my name uh band page so that all uh, details of anything i'll be doing will be on there
1: awesome well thank you very much and uh looking forward to everyone here in this record all right brother have a good one i appreciate it so that was my conversation with clint lowry you know we teased it in the very beginning uh let's get right to it since it was there at the end clint lowry wants to be in nine inch nails
2: question marks he not only does he want to be in nine inch nails, but he wants to make nine inch nails better.
1: Or to the fact that he, you know, says he'll be the best guitar player that they've ever had. So, or Trent has ever had I should say, which is uh i you know say what you want, I think uh that 's a pretty bold statement, but I think, in light of the fact that Clint obviously has spent time in corn doing stuff with Seether, i I think he 's kind of done the legwork to show that he can be a very versatile player for a lot of different people, and I think you know like i like I asked him, you know because when he said that even in the moment, I was like thinking to myself, I was like wow, that 's a really bold statement, uh and it 's like you know the thing on my end is. You do realize, like, all the people that are in Nine Inch Nails are multi instrumentalists. They have a lot to do in the live setting, you know, between playing keyboards, between, you know, doing all these extra things, backing vocals and so forth. So it would be a thing of, like, it's more than just what maybe you're used to doing in Seven Dust or any of these other bands. Like, it is a full on, like, you got to know your shit. And, you know, for the fact that him just being like, I can do it. And I know I would do it really well, and nothing taken away from any of the people that are in that band. But I know I would be the greatest, or I would do really good at it. And then quickly was like, I'd probably get kicked out two days into it, but you know, I'd give it a hell of a try.
2: Creative differences, right? Yeah, sure. Like, <laughs> like oh, okay, Clint. We know that you know you're a big deal in Seven Dust and everything, but uh, you know, this is this is the Trent Show.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I would be interested to see what that would look like, though, because I mean. I... I mean, it's 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 not like saying that, you know, Nine Inch Nails and Seven Dust don't have similarities. I mean, like, you know, they are, you know, kind of percussive. They kind of are have a lot of groove. There's a lot of atmosphere and so forth. And I would be interested to see what Clint could do in that situation. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I definitely... <laughs> i definitely think this is going to be one of those that we'll be seeing on the prp and you know blabbermouth and so forth uh and i can't wait to see what you know nine inch nails fans think i think nine inch nails is kind of a hot button topic right now just with the fact of uh them getting into the hall of fame the rock and roll hall of fame and some people not really agreeing with that
2: yeah yeah i mean that's and and I personally, I think, yeah, put him in. Yeah, absolutely. Like a hundred percent. Like I mean, some of my, I mean, I've been listening to Trent Reznor since I was a little kid.
1: You know, I think the thing that sometimes people forget, uh, as far as the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame goes, you know, especially when you know now that rap and hip hop and stuff like that has been starting to get integrate, integrated into it as well, is I think some people forget that the whole point of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is to kind of to shed light on people who have transcended even genres and just are that monumental and if you know especially for the rap and stuff like that you know some people are like oh who you know why is Biggie in there why is tupac in there well i mean as of right now there's not a hip-hop and r&b hall of fame i mean that's why you don't see country artists going in there typically because there already is a country music hall of fame so as of now you know we're seeing we're starting to see you know hip-hop and r&b get in there and i think it's great because here's the thing motown heavily influenced a lot of other genres which would later on become rock and roll so you know r&b and so forth makes sense there hip-hop honestly samples a lot of rock and metal whether you realize it or not i think a song like old country road going back to trent reznor they sample a song of trent or a, a snippet of uh, something off of the ghosts uh ep that from nine inch nails so i mean it just goes to show that we are kind of hand in hand with these genres and whether you want to realize that or not is is kind of a, you know, it's a whole different talking point, but um, I do for me, I understand why we're starting to see more growth uh, as far as the the people getting into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and on the ballots and so forth. Uh, is it a shame that Motorhead's not in? Absolutely. I think they are a band's band. So many people know what that band did, what they mean to rock, metal, punk, hardcore. They're one of those bands that just transcends genres. Uh, so for them not to be in it is kind of a travesty. Um, you know, a band like Judas Priest, again, I'm not a big fan of them, but I definitely think that they should have been in for a, a long time ago. Um, just look at what they've done, you know, I think it speaks for itself, but for whatever reason, they're not in. But all of that aside, uh, that was kind of an interesting takeaway for me. Um, you know, just that that very little end tidbit there of the Nine Inch Nails thing. Um, I do kinda of wanna talk, you know, since we Dan and I really haven't done one of these in what, two and a half weeks at this point?
2: It's been a while. I, I missed the last episode just because everything was kinda of going crazy and I just uh couldn't couldn't find the time, which is Funny because I always complain about that when I can't get interviews with people in my time in my timetable. I'm like, oh, they can't take a half hour, but I, I could not be bothered to take the half hour, so I get it.
1: Yeah, and on top of that, like I kind of you know my my wife, uh, her grandmother passed away uh, a couple of weeks ago, about a week and a half ago or so as of when you're hearing this. So we had to take a very last minute trip to Arizona to go. Uh, do family stuff and then as of when we're recording this I leave for New Orleans in like three days so uh, time for Dan and I has been sparse at best Um, I do want to say while I was out in Arizona I did a lot of posting on our social medias of uh, the various beers I was buying Um, we found this really awesome beer liquor wine store uh, out in Arizona. They had like everything of everything from all over. Um, nice single canned beer. I found the, uh, Belching Beaver Deftones beer, like for under three bucks, which if you go on like eBay trying to buy one, good luck. You're going to probably spend, you know, 20 bucks or more. Um, But the first round, the first haul I did was a lot of Belching Beaver. It was the Deftones Phantom Bride uh, IPA, Uh, the Belching Beaver Mango IPA. Here comes the Mango IPA, which is pretty solid. Um, The peanut butter milk stout Belching Beaver was stupidly delicious. Uh, I bothered this lady for a left-handed peanut butter milk stout uh, because they only had it in the cases. And she was like, "Oh, seasonal is just gonna be the death of me." And then opened up uh, the pack for me and sold me one of the beers. Uh, and I had that, and it was really peanut buttery and smooth and super delicious. Um, while we were down in downtown Arizona, by like Tempe, like by the uh, Arizona State campus, we went to this place called uh, Petal House Brewery. Um, I don't. They had a sour that was actually pretty good. It was like a pineapple guava sour, uh, but it was more. It was on the bitter end, but it wasn't so sour the way you're just like your your face implodes on itself like eating a warhead. It was more like a nice bitter flavor and then like the kind of like sweeter side of those two fruits on the back end it was super good super good but I ended up getting their uh <clears throat> i ended up getting their barrel each quad, which was a uh Belgian style quadruple brewed with uh this like Westmall yeast or something like that and bourbon barrels and French oak barrels. And that thing was so syrupy and delicious, and I wanted a whole bunch of it. And it was like a (laughs) – that thing was like almost – I think it was almost 11%. Oh, wow. So I I was feeling pretty good after drinking that. And then I went back to the beer store and ended up picking up a whole shitload of other beers. We got a Breckenridge uh, Nitro Chocolate Orange Stout. Wasn't as good as I would hoped it have been. Didn't really have a whole and it lot. It sounds good. But yeah, yeah, it just didn't have a whole lot of the orange flavor. The chocolate flavor really wasn't there either. It just kind of was. Um, I just opened up the uh, the Syntax from the Mother Earth Brewing, which was an Imperial Peanut Butter Stout. It was okay. Uh, I'm about ready to open up this Golden Road Brewery. It, they're uh, local to Arizona, this Guava Dia. It's a blonde ale with guava and pineapple. I have one of those uh, Amigang uh, Blueberry Coffees. I haven't had that one yet. Sadly, another local brewery um, was, and I can't read it. Uh, let me see if I can pull up this photo. The Barclays, the Uncle, yeah, I can't read it, Uncle something or other brewery. They had a peanut butter cup porter. But it was a year expired, so it was sour. Like, Bridget, my wife, took a sip of it (laughs) and goes, oh, this is sour. (laughs) And I go, and then she looked at the bottom of the can. She goes, oh, it's like a year past its expiration date. And I go, yeah, I'm not going to drink that.
2: (laughs) That's hilarious.
1: Um, I grabbed a Santan Brewing Company Sex Panther, which I'm drinking right now, actually, the uh, Double Chocolate Porter. Uh, It's just okay. Um, I don't really get the the extra chocolatey flavor in here like I was hoping. Clever name good looking can obviously they got me to buy it it's just okay uh then i grabbed a cherry vanilla porter from a historic brewing company their pie hole porter um again didn't really get much of the cherry vanilla flavor i like i was thinking i thought it'd be more like a pie like kind of like a cracker graham crackery kind of flavor um I just didn't really get it i kind of got more of just a straight up little hint of cherry and porter um and one i have not tried yet and i'm very excited to i should have cracked it open for this actually is the uh, pbr stronger seltzer so everyone obviously knows white claws and high noons and all these things are in, in uh fashion right now so pbr which has come out with a hard latte which is stupidly delicious uh, i just tried that really recently uh they have a seltzer and it's an eight <laughs> selt- percent oh boy seltzer so i can't wait to crack that bitch open and and uh You know, just enjoy that. Fall asleep. Yeah, Yeah. because I mean, like, so far at PBR, uh, with the various things they're doing, you know, they went from having PBR, PBR Light, to having the PBR uh, Easies, having the PBR, uh, I think they're called Dark, I think is what it is. Like, PBR is expanding their line, and everything that they've done so far has been really pretty solid for what it is like i know a lot of people give shit to pbr for being you know bottom end of the beer spectrum but i think for for what it is it's a pretty solid consistent beer you can drink a bunch of them they're not too heavy they're not too light they got a nice crisp flavor i mean pbr has stood the test of time for a reason
2: i mean poor people like me man um you know that was just what we drank you know, for the longest time, I used to work at a video game store making minimum wage right next to a gas station, and we drank PBR, you know? Like, it's just—and, you know, despite the low cost and how it was the bottom end of beer for a long time, people just drank it and said, there's nothing really wrong with PBR, and and then it became a hipster beer for a while um, because, again, a lot of hipsters are poor, either either through just being poor or maybe spending way too much money on vinyl— um, uh, but, you know, PBR was the beer of choice, so yeah, like, they've had a huge influx, and they're like, you know what, we're relevant now.
1: Yeah, um, so I mean, that's, that's kind of been my thing. I'm actually going to go ahead and, uh, I'm going to try this Golden Road, uh, Dia, or Dia.
2: I had, um, just so, just this past, uh, week, uh, Joe and, this past week, Joe and I from Discography Discussion were re- were re- drinking, uh, Alesian Contact Haze, uh, which is, um, well, it, it's kind of like the way we described it. Um, Jeff was there too, actually, by some miracle, and uh, the way he described it was uh, that it was like space dust light, like it, like it would be what Bud Light is to Budweiser, right. only For space dust, and I have to agree with him. It's kind of like those moments where space dust is just too much, and you just want something that tastes more like the fruit and less like the hop, you know. And um, that's what you definitely get with Contact Haze. It's more. Um, almost like a raspberry, uh, mixed with some citrus. Like I said, it's like space dust. If you, if you took like a cup of water and poured it in there and mixed it up, it's not, (laughs) it's not quite as intense and it's much more palatable for people.
1: Well, what I think was interesting is while we were out there, you know, obviously the thing that kind of, and this sounds so braggy, but it's like the thing that kind of sucks for me is like, we have so much beer that comes out here between our own. And then the things that get distributed out to here, you know, like, I was telling someone the other day, actually, uh, uh, someone who listens to the podcast that lives in, uh, let me pull them up on Twitter that lives in, uh, over in like the Indiana area. It's, uh, Chris, Chris V on Twitter was like, Oh, you know, like you live so close to, to Indiana. Are you familiar with like three Floyds, Sun King, Upland, Daredevil, Taxman, et cetera. And I was like, right. you know, three Floyds, obviously, yes, they get up here. But you know, the problem is a lot of places in the, this area, this, this, Midwest area that we live in, and just in general, the distribution isn't there. Like, you know, the I know in most of the travels my wife and I have done all over the country, consistently, if we're like, hey, what do you got on tap? Hey, what kind of, you know, beers do you got? Craft beers inevitably someone always goes, Oh, we got this new founders. We got this new bells. And it's like, dude, that's, it's new to you. We've been drinking that for like three years back home. Like I, I, I don't want founders. I don't want bells. I really don't want new Holland. Like I don't want the <laughs> shit I can get at home. I want right. things local to where I'm at because I want to have that, that experience of trying some from somewhere else. That's half of the fun of going new places. Like, you know, I'm excited to see what kind of a craft beer craft cocktail game new Orleans has got when we go in a couple of weeks or in a, few days actually and it's one of those like i'm always kind of bummed when like places just have what we have and go into a store like this place that we went to it kind of reminds me of, like a Bebmo or like a bindi's if you're familiar with like chicago area um where they they have a wide distribution so they're able to get stuff from all over and that's the fun thing that's that's what's fun about and even fuck it like i'll even go you know because we i assume this person will never fucking listen to this show so i don't even care i'm leaving this in You know, we were (laughs) – I've been trying to get Scott Stapp on the show for a little bit, and it looked like it was, you know, a possibility. And basically we were told that it's not a good look for Scott Stapp to come on a show where we talk about beer and liquor. And, you know, I guess I get it. You know, he's sober and all that kind of shit. But it's like, you know, I sit there and think about, well, how do you go through life then? Because – you can't just block out like the fact that there are bars, breweries, whatever. You play in venues where they sell alcohol. So are you telling me Scott Stapp only plays churches and VFW halls because he can't be around it?
2: I mean at at this point. No. Okay. Never mind. That was mean. Uh so <laughs> Yeah. So it's it's
1: just one of those things where yes, I know it's it's something we talk about. And you know, we've talked about how sometimes it potentially has cost us interviews and so forth. And that was one where I Genuinely was kind of bummed that they were so focused on that because I think speaks to a bigger thing. But I mean, I definitely really do want to get more into coffee. I definitely want to get more into like teas because like I was at like a local market thing here in town and there's a whole section of loose leaf teas where you go and just scoop your shit. And it's almost like going to a crap beer store where you're like, oh, wow, this crazy fucking flavored tea sounds amazing. But, like, yeah. I also don't have those, like, weird scooper ball things to stick in your, you know, your your pots or whatever. And, you know, they have all these crazy, like, oh, here's a sloth-looking thing that will slow drip your tea into your cup or whatever. Like, I don't <laughs> know. Like, like I said, like, you know, I make the joke that it's, like, you know, it's just like beer. It's just like wine. It's just like anything where it's, like, even teas and coffee now have, like, their own set of instruments needed to enjoy these things at the highest level of, of their capabilities for the flavor profiles. And... I think maybe it's a disservice that we don't talk about those things because we're, I guess maybe we're just not as invested in finding out about those things. But it, it's not for a lack of like wanting to try. It's just like, you know, if I get loose leaf tea, like, holy shit, I got to buy like $30 worth of things just to fucking brew it. And it's like, that's kind of obnoxious.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's a little much, but it's like any other hobby, you know? I mean, people think that, that vinyl collecting is ridiculous. And it gets there. There's... Like I got I, I got uh criticized in one time in a vinyl group because I was like yeah I really like my Audio Technica LP60 because I can just hit start and it just puts the arm directly on the record and they're like oh yeah I mean I guess if you want to damage all your records I guess that's fine you know and I was like well I mean it's never damaged any of my records you know it it seems to work pretty good it starts and stops and the only thing I have to and people are just like no it's not a real record player unless you take the actual arm and have a weighted arm and put it i'm like okay that that's cool but i mean i I assume it's that way with any other kind of novelty hobby where you know obviously you can just make tea you know out of your keurig if you want you know i
1: definitely do that too
2: (laughs) yeah so like it's not that like i don't know it's not that different than any of the other weird hobbies that are out there
1: I don't know. It's it's always funny. I think with anything where craft uh, comes into play, um, or there's you know technical aspects of the thing to enjoy the thing. I think you're always going to have those purists or those elitists who kind of ruin it for everybody else who just kind of sort of wants to dip their toes into it. Um, but that was something we dealt with. You know, I dealt with very recently where you know since Dan and I have last talked, since I've done you know the last episode, where I just kind of got a little pissed off where I'm like. You know, that sucks. I think that, you know, it, it negates what we do during the interview. It it negates the, the time that we spend, you know, researching and trying to talk to someone and bringing out the best in what we do over here to just simply be like, well, they don't want to be on because all you do is talk about beer. And it's like, no, oh, we don't, but all right. So, I mean, that's a little bit of a pity party bullshit thing I've been going through and thinking about this last week or so. Um, so, you know, I guess we don't get Scott Stapp, but that's okay. We had Mark Tremonti on.
2: Yeah, he's really the only... I mean, he's really the best member of that band, in my opinion. Uh, I mean, sure. I, I, my, my opinion. Yeah,
1: I mean, as a as a drumming fan, I I do like uh, Scott Phillips. I think he's a good drummer for what they do. Uh, and obviously, in Alter Bridge, him and Mark, and you know their bass player, I can't remember his name, have obviously shown they're able to do more than what Creed allowed them to do.
2: Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, you know, you can't. that's gonna sound really mean, but like you you can't be an over the top show offy musician in Creed. It's not how their songs work. No.
1: Well, uh, we've been rambling long enough. Uh, so let's uh, wrap this up. If you would like to follow Clint Lowry, uh, simple enough. Facebook, Clint Lowry Net. Instagram, Clint Lowry Official. Twitter, at Clint Lowry Net. And if you would like to just find everything for everything, go to ClintLowry.net. Uh, you can find all the socials, tour dates, information about this record. Uh, God bless the Renegades. Out this Friday, as of when you're listening to this. Solid record out via Rise Records. Uh, thanks to Clint for taking the time. If you would like to keep up with Metal Nexus, Find them at MetalNexus.net, Facebook at MetalNexus, Instagram at Metal.Nexus, Twitter at Metal underscore Nexus, and Dan will tell you where he can be found.
2: I can be found on Facebook under Daniel Terry. I can be found on Twitter at DiscussMetalDan. You can send me an email at... Oh, I almost gave my real email address. Uh, You can send me an email at DiscussMetalDan at gmail.com. You can find my other podcasts... At DiscussMetal.com. So, I mean, I'm pretty much available. I mean, you just send me something and I might respond to it.
1: And if you would like to keep up with all things this podcast, find us simply enough at Bruce Speak Pod, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Check us out on YouTube. we applicable. Uh, we do have videos up there. Uh, been getting a lot of comments on the Spencer Stiletto or Satello or however you say his last name from Periphery, uh, those are much appreciated. Always love when people find our podcasts on different mediums. And uh, comment on them as well. Uh, if you would like to buy pins, we have pins. We are trying to get Dan to Furnace Fest. $15, get you a pin. Contact us, send us a DM, email us at brutallyspeaking@gmail.com. At However you need to get a hold of us, we can be gotten a hold of. Buy one of these pins. If you live in the outside U.S., uh, we'll figure out a way to get you a pin uh, for as little as we can to make it where we're not losing money. Uh, but again, if you live in the U.S. and you want a pin, $15, get you a pin, free shipping and handling. If you would like to support us monetarily in a different realm, go over to our Patreon, patreon.com slash Pod. We have a couple episodes up there. Uh, not a whole lot of love going over there, to be completely honest, but it uh, doesn't mean we don't want to do that more. <laughs> doesn't mean that we don't have fun doing the episodes that we did, but uh, I'm going to try to get that going again. I, I know I personally enjoy doing those. They're just really chill. It's just Dan and I are usually doing a top five list of some kind. So uh, if you're into that kind of thing, head on over there, patreon.com slash pod rating reviewing subscribing you hear it all the time we're gonna keep it short do those things wherever you are listening to this on there is an option for that please do it. it goes a long way we will start reading them on here if that will encourage you to do that uh helps us greatly pop up on other algorithms and so forth and uh sponsors Go to the Beanbastard, beanbastard.com, get you some delicious coffee. They got a new logo. I can't wait for it to be on merch. I hope they do some fun things with it. Head over to the BeanBaster.com. get some coffee. Bean Bastard on Facebook and Instagram and go over to onpointpalmade onpointpalmade.com. Use our code BSP15 and take 15% off your total order. Let them know that we sent you. We want you looking at your best and everything being On Point Beard Hair Game On Point, onpointpalmade.com. Let them know that we sent you. That is how we grow this thing. That's how we get new sponsors. We need to let them know that we move the needle. And for the Brutally Speaking Podcast, I am John. And I am Dan. We will talk to you all next time.